second we are recording with mr jeff nyquist on saturday july 1st 2023 at 4 17 p.m eastern time guys please go into the description and follow mr nyquist on twitter and go buy his books those links are in the description and um as i was just telling you beforehand some people have been commenting on uh the live chat on my video game stream the last couple nights and they're saying i need to have you on in wake of the entire whatever it was that we saw in russia last uh saturday sunday ish um and you were just saying uh, coincidences concerning july 11th so what is what are those coincidences uh <clears throat> well the july 1st and july 11th the first coincidence is that uh, Prigozhin, who led a mutiny a week ago today against uh, the government in Moscow, um, uh, specifically targeting the Ministry of Defense, but it was aimed at Mr. Putin. He mm -hmm. he uh, balked Mr. Putin's uh, uh, rendition of why they're fighting in, in Ukraine. And uh, Mr. Prigozhin's the head of the PMC Wagner, the PMC private military company Wagner. It's been fighting in Ukraine. They've got mercenaries in the Middle East and Africa and Latin America. Um, and of course, the uh, he's been uh, uh, criticizing the Minister of Defense, uh, Sergei Shoigu, and he's been criticizing the Chief of the Russian General Staff, General Gerasimov, and uh, actually very... <laughs> very nasty comments on social media that Mr. Prigozhin has made since I think around February. I think I, I don't know, February, March is when I started watching his podcast. Um, and, and it's, uh, so the response of the Ministry of Defense was to say that, that July 1st today was the deadline that all of the PMC Wagner mercenaries have to become, you know, sign a, a contract with the Ministry of Defense. They have to they have to work directly for the Ministry of Defense. Now, another coincidence, July 1st coincidence, is that um, the Russian Federation announced in like late March that uh, they were going to move nuclear weapons into uh, Belarus. And that the date that they wanted Belarus ready to receive the weapons, the latest date was July 1st. So they have these two July 1st. Mr. Prigozhin has to get his mercenaries you know, in with the Ministry of Defense by July 1st, and nuclear weapons are going to Belarusia by July 1st. Now, this is very funny because Mr. Prigozhin is going to Belarusia, has gone to Belarusia now, <laughs> where the nuclear weapons are going, and five to 8,000, according to common news reports, five to 8,000 of his mercenaries are going to Belarusia, of all things. You revolt against the Russian government, and you get to go where the nuclear weapons are being moved to? Mr. Lukashenko, two or three days ago, said, oh yeah, we, we've got lots of nuclear weapons. They're arriving in large numbers, and the West doesn't even know where they are. Well, this is very odd. Because, of course, Mr. Putin and uh, Mr. Medvedev, the former president of the Russian Federation, have been saying, we're not bluffing. You know, we can use nuclear weapons if we get into trouble here in Ukraine. And they're in trouble in Ukraine. The trouble manifested uh, June 6th when they blew the Kahavka Dam up and, and created tremendous flooding. Because why? Because the Ukrainian army was intending to cross the river by Kherson. And they blew up the dam to flood the river so no crossing could take place. You can't cross a river while it's flooding when a dam is broken. And, of course, the bank gets all muddy, so it kind of makes it more difficult to cross later. But the water's gone down. 
the summer's been hot and you know the water subsided to its normal channel and guess what they started crossing a week ago today and their bridgehead the ukrainian bridgehead is expanding and the russians don't have the troops on their left flank in the south in the southwest of their front to probably hold that they're going to have to start withdrawing so russia's in a bad position there's been some reports that russia's broken through uh russia's first line of fortifications has been breached by the ukrainians ukrainians are going very slow they're being very methodical they're using you know uh shaping um uh, attacks they're finding the weaknesses they're uh, using their HIMAR artillery they're taking down drones and destroying uh russian electronic countermeasures so it's very uh, funny coincidence <clears throat> that belarusia uh, gets nuclear weapons now uh, because if nuclear weapons are given to Belarusia and they launch them on Poland on the supply line that runs from the west into Ukraine, uh, does that end the war? Does that cause the west to come and negotiate with Russia? Uh, what is it? Does it allow Russia to win the war without Russia receiving a retaliatory attack? That uh, Does Putin care what happens to Belarusia if Ru Belarusia receives a nuclear retaliation? I don't know. Uh, it's it's very weird. And then you have on the 11th of July, you have the NATO uh, summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, right near Belarusia, where you don't have much warning time of a missile coming in. They've beefed up the ballistic missile defenses there. They brought in uh, radiation detection equipment uh, in the Baltic states to check the borders. Uh, they're getting, you know, and already, you know, Poland last september i think it was august to september poland started passing out the uh, the potassium iodine pills and getting them ready for the schools and uh, different civilian areas uh because poland was possibly well they were being threatened they have been threatened mr medvedev has threatened them russian generals have threatened poland with nuclear attack over the years this is getting rather serious because russia's stated military doctrine is if their conventional forces don't hold up, they're, they, they reserve the right to use their nukes. And that's what they excel at. They have a, the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world. They have modern nukes. They have modernized it. We haven't modernized ours. And um, so this is kind of disturbing. And, and then what makes, I mean, I would dismiss July 11th. Why would they attack that meeting? But then I'm looking at Russian propaganda websites like this particular Indian site where they give out the news. And a lot of the Indian sites give a kind of a pro-Russian twist because India has been allied with Russia for decades. <clears throat> and uh, they're saying that World War III, there's this bogus story, I'm sure it's bogus, that uh, Victoria Nuland, the usual villain with regard to Ukraine, supposedly told the Ukrainian leaders recently that World War III is going to start on the 11th of July. And of course, the CIA and, and NATO is going to start the war you know, because this is Russian propaganda. They never start anything. So the Russians themselves are putting out this disinformation that World War III begins on the 11th. You have the NATO summit on the 11th. You have Prigozhin going to uh, Belarusia on the by the first, and the nuclear weapons reaching there by the first. They've been they both come early uh, before that uh, deadline date. <laughs> And Prigozhin's mercenaries. Now, here's the icing on the cake. The Russian historian um, uh, um, 
uh, now my name, I just had a hiccup. The, the Russian histo historian um, Felchtinsky, Yuri Felchtinsky, uh, wrote a book with the Ukrainian co-author called Blowing Up Ukraine. He'd done the book Blowing Up Russia with Alexander Litvinenko, who was famously poisoned with polonium-210 in London in 2006. Well, this book uh, has a funny prediction in it. And this book came out last year. It said that the intention of Russia in this war is to move nuclear weapons into Belarus and to use them in Belarus. So when uh, when Professor or Dr. Feldstinsky was interviewed by Jonathan Fink of the Silicon Curtain podcast here in April, he was kind of probing uh, Jonathan Fink was probing him about this attack from Belarus and and very very curiously. Uh, Mr. Felchinsky said uh, that uh, a group of uh, so-called supposed Ukrainian partisans or whatever would seize the nukes in Belarus and fire them at NATO as a provocation so that there would be double – two degrees of separation between the Kremlin say and the on. fire say of these. That, say that sentence again. So it's – so Felchinsky said in April, he said, he said Ukrainians would be ostensibly – they would allege that Ukrainians had gotten the nuclear um, weapons, had somehow gotten the codes to launch them and seize them. Some, some pro-Ukrainian militant group would seize the weapons in Belarus. Now, now get this. So the weapons arrive – you know, are arriving over the last 10 days or so in, in Ukraine, the nuclear weapon, I mean, arriving in Belarus in the last 10 days or so. And so is Prigozhin and 5,000 of his mercenaries. And the Russian press is claiming, and Putin has alluded to the fact, that Mr. Prigozhin is really an agent of the Ukrainians, that he secretly met with the SBU, Ukrainian intelligence, that he was paid $6.2 billion by the CIA to turn change sides. So you see how it's being set up here. Now, why does Putin allow them to go there? Why aren't they rounded up and jailed or shot or whatever? But, but no, Mr. Putin said in his speech on Monday, president of the Russian Federation, that the Wagner mercenaries has, have a choice. They could just go home. They could go join the Russian army and fight in Ukraine, or they can go to Belarus. Belarus. So my, it's a great big question, Mari. Like, what? That's out of the way. Why would they let them go there? And why all these coincidences and dates where the, where the Russian propaganda is lining up with these actions? And Mr. Feldstinsky, of course, when he wrote this book, he had – he talked to oligarchs. He talked to people high up in the former Soviet structures and he himself has contacts in Russia. So where did he get this from? Mr. Feltinsky didn't draw this out of – because prediction is science. When somebody says something and it comes true, wait a minute, how did he know that? He isn't a psychic. He's a historian. So he in his, uh, his investigations and his research, he came across this very unusual piece of information. And he has repeated it in a way that you can't ignore it now. You can't ignore what he said because it's coming true in a very eerie way. What in the heck are Wagner mercenaries doing? And, and the, other, the other thing, I saw news items that, that are purport satellite photographs of them building the encampment here a few days ago, building the encampment for the Wagner mercenaries in Belarus. Well, wait a minute. How long does it take for me to get a, you know, a, a painting, a painting, uh, 
a paint contractor out to paint my house. That's awfully fast service yeah. to be setting up barracks for people who just committed a coup, you know, less than a week ago. That's pretty fast. That that means that's planning. Whose planning is that? This is not a these events in Belarus. So you go back to the events. These events in in Russia a week ago were not spontaneous. This is this has been prepared. In fact, if if our uh, not always um, on the ball CIA knew about this enough to brief Congress before the Prigozhin mutiny happened. You know the Russian efficient Russian intelligence services and GRU knew about it. Well, not only do I think they knew about it, I think that they were involved in it. And and there's a thing called provocation in Russia, where um, right, okay, let's say you're losing a war and you're the Russian you know Federation leaders, and you're worried about a mutiny of your army. So how do you inoculate yourself against the mutiny of generals and troops? Well, you stage a fake mutiny, Drive and you dead. see who joins it, and you properly arrest them. Yeah. Right. So then everybody looks around and goes, "Wait a minute, that mutiny was a fake." And then when conditions get worse, you're not going to have a mutiny because if somebody mutinies for real, everyone will say, "Oh no, that's not real. It's fake." Yeah. So nobody's going to believe a real mutiny and join it when it happens because they've basically seen a fake mutiny. They go, "Oh, that's just another fake mutiny." And now Putin has inoculated himself against further mutinies in his own military which is interesting you know general armageddon was arrested i don't know uh, someone on my site wrote that he had been questioned and released but uh sergey um Serovkin, uh the uh, general armageddon who was famous for you know dropping phosphorus shells on syrian towns and burning them down and carpet bombing them uh he's the head of the aerospace command now he was the head of army group south in the invasion but he's he's now the head of the airspace command, which is in charge of the missile and uh, and air interception air interceptors for their air defense, especially in a nuclear war. But he was supposedly questioned or arrested or detained. But you know how many people got discovered in this fake? I'm calling it a fake um, uh, mutiny. How many people exposed themselves as being not happy with the regime? And now are being led away into uh, into jail cells. Don't know. Don't know. I do know that, uh, according to various reports, that FSB troops and army troops joined Prigozhin's march on Moscow. Which means, what's going to happen to those guys? Are they all going away to the Gulag? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So who's going to ever join a, a mutiny again? How can you? And see, this is how totalitarian regimes secure their uh you could say secure their people against rebellion because everybody knows about provocation because they've done it over and over again hmm. yeah no i tend to be of the i'm of i'm of the belief that it was fake it was fake to draw out traitors to the regime yeah and yeah now no one's gonna it'd be like if trump told all of his followers to go to the capitol no one's ever going. Not, yeah, you're right about that. Not again. You're, that's a very good example. You're right about that. Well, I saw. Yeah, nobody's going to do that now, are they? I, dude, if, I if, saw the funniest fucking meme, and it's Ray Epps dressed as a Wagner guy. And he's, he's going, I think we should go into the <laughs> <Yes>. Kremlin. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that one. Yeah, I but, saw that. But yeah, so, but whatever it is, man, it just, 
I, I keep saying this. It's like whatever we saw wasn't it. It was it was too that my first my first gut instinct. When it was happening, I'll admit, you know, I I was like, Oh, this is a coup and I imagined it was you know yeah. fragility and they're going to move Putin, he's older and everyone hates him and the CIA. I'm like, Yeah, sure, why why wouldn't this be a coup? That's kind of law of the land in Russia, right? It's just like strong man. But when nothing happened and he just sent him home, I was like, That's not a Putin move. A no. Putin move is you you have Prigozhin executed on the lawn. Like yeah. Right, and when that didn't happen, I was like, "Dude, that's not, that's not Soviet KGB to be like, hey, 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 you go back home now." No, that's you and your family, and your family's family are all decapitated on TV. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. Is but I am this is curious the the July eleventh yeah. is there's so much misdirection now. Yeah, there's misdirection, and and of course it could be that this is just a very sophisticated way to threaten nuclear war. Sure, that people yeah. like me are looking at this, going, "Holy crap! Uh, they did they put Wagner in there to do a false flag nuclear attack on NATO, uh, and attribute it to Ukrainian SBU intelligence trying to get NATO into the war." Uh, because, of course, the Russian line has been, and you listen to all the Russian. Look, I listened to Scott Ritter this morning. I mean, I mean uh, Scott Ritter who. Uh, who got arrested for uh, soliciting an underage girl on on the internet and, and went to prison. Um, Scott Ritter, um, the former arms control inspector that used to be a tiger, and suddenly, instead of being an arms control inspector against Saddam Hussein in, in Russia, where he did arms control inspection, he's now, he, he sort of turned pro-Saddam, and he sort of turned pro, an anti-American and pro-Russia. He's a very much a pro-Russian guy on uh, the, the the blogs and of course he's got this wonderful rap about how there was no negotiation with Prigozhin that Putin stood strong and the the army and the public came out for Putin and but of course if you listen to all the mainstream commentators they're saying there was no demonstration in favor of Putin everybody you know society was just sort of standing there uh, you know sitting there on their butts and nobody everyone was paralyzed no one wanted to do anything unless it was those people caught up in marching to Moscow. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, there's two, there's two versions and always see when you can tell when there's a lie, uh, coming out of Russia and China does it almost the same, but the Russians are the artists at this. They don't tell you one story. They tell you several different stories. So it's like you're in the shopping mall and you get to like chop and choose the one that fits you the best. So depending on your state of knowledge, they've got the the primitive version for the people that are visceral and they they look at Prigozhin, you know, dressing down the defense minister in video after video, and you you look at him claiming that his his troops were attacked by uh, by a by a. Um, a, a Russian right. army brigade and he captures the brigade commander and they beat him into a confession and he apologizes for bombarding them. You know, this kind of drama that's that's played out on, on Russian social media. And you so you got this version that Prigozhin is just fed up to hear with all the lies from Moscow. And so he's marching uh, on it, you know, as if some guy who, by the way, uh, the the Ministry of Defense, the Russian government, the Ministry of Defense has paid the Wagner PMC mercenaries over a billion dollars since the war started. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go up against your paymaster? Yeah, you, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> They're paying you. 
Yeah. I don't get it. So that's the simple version. Now the more complicated version for the more sophisticated, you get the more sophisticated people. And he goes, well, you know, Pergosian, he, uh, he, he controls all these mines in Africa, diamond mines and gold mines. And, and he's operating in the Central African Republic and his mercenaries virtually control some of these countries like Mali and, and Libya. And, you know, they're all over there. And so he's making a ton of money off of that. And Sergei Shoigu is jealous of him. And so Shoigu has formed his own mercenary company. And he, he, he wants to dissolve Wagner PMC and push Pergosian out of the way. And he wants his mercenaries to come in there and grab the money. That's another version that we hear of why this, where this dispute started. But, of course, the dispute itself is funny as a $2 bill when you see them let them go to Belarus. To Belarus. What? <laughs> you know, that's out of the way. It's like. What kind of scenario is being set up next? It's like you're and for your next assignment, Mr. Phelps. Now your government will deny any knowledge of your, you know, yeah. we will deny that we had anything to do with what you've done. <clears throat> you can go shopping for multiple different conspiracies. Yeah, right. Your... Whatever, and you know, and then the really pro-Russians believe that it's the CIA has bought Mr. Prokhorov for sixty-two billion. And that uh, he's working for the Ukrainian SBU, and his mission now is he's managed to negotiate. The, he's he's fooled the stupid Mr. President Lukashenko into harboring him, because uh, Mr. Lukashenko supposedly did this negotiation over this uh, this mutiny to to prevent a civil war. That's what Scott Ritter is all about: preventing Putin brilliantly prevented a civil war. You know, like where would these mercenaries have gotten all the shells and artillery and air power they would have needed to actually fight a civil war? Not only that. Real mutiny. You're mowing that convoy down on the highway. Oh, yeah. Yep. 12 hours before it gets there. It's the highway of death, like we yeah, had in yeah, Iraq. No, right. You're not putting guys with sandbags in Moscow going, oh, Lord, here they come. Yeah, you get, a, you get the Moscow militia. That's the Moscow police. You get them coming out there and putting up machine gun positions. When, when there's tank carriers with T-90 tanks in them, barreling towards you it's like that's ridiculous no the whole thing is and by the way where was the felix jerzinski regiment where were they and where were the very well equipped yeah i used to call them kgb troops but the fsb troops that guard the kremlin where were they why didn't anybody mention them they can't be disappeared what did, what did we just did we just make them go away i mean that government is defended by you know, motor, motorized rifle division or or regiments that are stationed around Moscow. There's no way that a force like that could get anywhere near Moscow. So what in the heck was this? It doesn't register as legit on any scale. And the, the you know, look at two uh, prominent Russians fell out of windows last week. One was the head of a bank. She was a very beautiful lady. She fell from the 11th floor of her her flat. So these these death by falling out of windows. This is really becoming an epidemic in Russia, especially for people with money. And it's like, why didn't if Prigozhin was speaking out against the government and and referred to Putin, I think in April or something, as a grand old grandpa, why didn't he fall out of a window? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure that whatever these other people did was not not as bad as what Mr. Yeah. Prigozhin was doing publicly for months, for weeks. Yeah. And then you, you get, know, beating up and, and, and torturing a Russian brigade commander, a lieutenant colonel, uh, because he allegedly opened fire on their forces, and there's nothing is done. The Ministry of Defense does nothing about that. Hmm. Yeah, and then you have 
Putin releasing that video and he's like, the only thing that cannot be forgiven is betrayal. I think that was a legitimate statement, but I don't think it was aimed at Bergozin. No, and, and let's talk about Wagner. People try to brag them up as some kind of elite organization. Wagner mercenaries are recruited from criminals. Mr. Prigozhin himself is a former jailbird from the Soviet Union. He was, he's sort of an organized crime kind of dude. He's been a friend of Putin. He was, he was called Putin's chef or caterer. Um, and, and, you know, with these totalitarian regimes, if you're a, a chauffeur or if you're a valet or you're a bodyguard, you can end up becoming a governor or the head of a company because you've become trusted. The yeah. top guy knows you. Yeah. He trusts you. He gives you these opportunities. And, and of course, why would Mr. Prigozhin, who is basically a, an oligarch and, a, and a, probably a billionaire, who has who has made made eighty six took in eighty six billion rubles since the war began in payments for what he's doing in Ukraine, let alone his operations in Africa. Do you think he's really going to jeopardize all that by mouthing off first and then doing this bizarre march? It sounds crazy. Well, even that devil's advocate. Yeah, I mm -hmm. could I could see him do that. Yeah, you're just going for money and power. It's never enough, but. The the events we have seen since then, I think, deny that that was ever a reality. Oh, yeah. On the face well, value. Well, face value, sure. Yeah. Mercenary guy with billions. Yeah, why but, wouldn't but, you go for the throne? But Mr. Prigozhin isn't a mercenary in the sense of the West. Uh, Mr. Prigozhin is, is a... Uh, Mr. Prigozhin is a creature and always has been a creature of the Kremlin since the Kremlin aligned itself with the organized crime world. When, uh, when even before the Soviet Union collapsed, the KGB was working with Russian organized crime. After all, they had them all in the gulag. Yeah. So uh, they let them out because they wanted to create this phony capitalist system that was really controlled by the secret structures of the Communist Party and the KGB. So you've got all these Seloviki, those are KGB and, and, and military people controlling everything. I mean, everyone around Mr. Putin is 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 were they were hardline communist and KGB people. I mean, the KGB was the armed detachment of the Communist Party Soviet Union. Yeah. So this is these are the people, and Mr. Prigozhin is a you know is a I mean you could say that he's a psychopath. So psychopaths have a low um, a low sense of of risk, right? So he might not know the danger of what he's doing, but he's been around a long time. He's not a young man. He's not inexperienced. He knows exactly what the power is that he's going up against. So for, for him to have these emotional rants about dead criminals who he recruited from the jails um, is is very, very odd because this, this guy uh, is a war criminal. His units are have committed war crimes. Um, it's not like he's some righteous guy. His march for justice. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't resonate with this guy's resume and who he's been. Operating gambling casinos, operating troll farms, um, you know, uh, operating uh, these mercenaries in Africa that you know they're they're doing a lot of dirty business. I mean, you think about the level of trust. And and Mr. Putin has lied about his about. Uh, Wagner in the past. Last year when Macron went to uh, the Kremlin to talk to Putin about the war, uh, he asked him about Wagner PMC. And uh, Putin said, oh, that has nothing to do with the government. Wagner doesn't have any. And yet we find out now that they've been paid more than a billion dollars since the start of the war by the Russian government. So all these lies on top of these lies, 
um, and, and of course, the most bizarre thing, I mean, the only thing that would even make give me pause that Prigozhin was, um, was honest was that before he began his mutiny, he, he did a broadcast in which he said that all of Putin's reasons for going to war against Ukraine were lies. There are no Nazis to put down in Ukraine, and there's no threat from NATO through Ukraine. It's just all bogus. Now, if they're going to paint Mr. Prigozhin as an agent of the SBU of the Ukrainians, he's got to say what the Russian media says is, is Ukrainian propaganda, even though that actually happens to be true. There are no Nazis running Ukraine, and there was no threat to NATO. It was it was all coming the other way. It was it was Russia annexing Crimea and starting a war in Donbass, and now Russia invading Ukraine. Not like anybody has in, lined up troops to invade Russia. I mean, it's just out of the way. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody's crazy enough to, to attack a nuclear, the biggest nuclear power in the world. So, you know, all these, I mean, if you analyze it, it just doesn't make sense. But when you see them going to Belarusia and these other dates lining up and what Mr. Yuri Felchinsky had said in April and what his book said last year about Oh, they're going to move. And it's interesting what Mr. Felstinsky said about moving nuclear weapons to Belarusia. Did you know that Belarusia never got rid of the infrastructure for maintaining nukes on its soil, where Ukraine did? Because you can't just house nuclear weapons anywhere. Yeah. Require special facilities. You have to have electrical hookups for the warheads because the warheads don't just sit there. They have to be maintained. Mm -hmm. They have to have a constant electrical charge. And so you have to have reliable facilities for maintaining warheads and for servicing them. And so all those things, they never got rid of them in Belarusia. And uh, one of Felchinsky's points is, why did they never get rid of it? And his other point is, why did, why did Russia never just annex uh, Belarus? Why did he leave it independent? Because he needs it to do this thing. And he said, if they were just threatening NATO with nukes by moving that. It would be better if he moved the nukes into Kaliningrad. It would be better if he just some some Russian submarine came into Kaliningrad and dropped the nukes off, or some ship dropped them off. Then you would have you you would have the nukes right, and that would really scare Europe to have them that far west to have Russian nuclear missiles that far west. But no, it's Belarusia. Not this isn't just a scare. This is what Felchinsky argues. Very interesting argument is it's they really intend to use them. You know, and there obviously there's always layers and layers and layers to this shit. But I mean, yes, yes. Part of me is like, man, if you're doing, you're not going to broadcast you're moving the nukes, right? But then if I if I can conclude <laughs> yeah, if I can conclude if I can conclude that in my apartment in Maine, then that makes me think that, you know, my first take is like. Oh, these idiots! Why are they telling us they're bringing the nukes? Well, then they're probably not idiots. There's probably a reason for that, and it's you know whatever the face value thing. It's often not that's often not the answer. So yeah. then and, they and, they want us to know. Yeah, that and, the and some heard. news sites are already reporting that Prigozhin's troops are going to be housed not far from where the nuclear weapons are housed. <laughs> so yeah, it's, all, it's like what? Yeah, it's like we just saw this whole f fucking fake coup. Yeah. And admittedly myself, just a week ago, I took a hook, line, and sinker. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Oh, yeah, I believed it, too, in real yeah. time. You don't yeah. have time. You know, in real time, you're caught up in the moment, and you're caught up with your hope that the war will end 
that there'll be peace, that, yeah. the, that Putin yeah. will be removed from power, it's that he's been weakened. It's, yeah, yeah. You 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 want to believe that, and and but the thing is, is that when you sit down and you start soberly considering it, and you know the way they behave. I mean, there was a famous book written by a Polish journalist years ago. It's called The Triumph of Provocation. He said, "This is what they do over and over again. They do these provocations, and everybody falls for it." Yeah, yeah. So, with that in the rearview mirror, just seven days. We have to then look at what is allegedly coming in ten days. With that, with the coup fresh in our minds, and go, okay, are we gonna fall for this next? What podcast are Jeff and I doing on July eighteenth? Going, boy, oh boy, <laughs> I didn't know that X Y. Like, what else is happening? What are we not seeing? And then, even f- more zoomed out. Is that the intent? Is to make you just didn't everything is smoke and mirror? You know, the Soviet Union's what is just a you know a forest of mirrors. It's is that what all of this? Like, what are we even missing? Like, why is this yeah. the headline? Why are they moving the troops there? Why are they building the barracks there? Why are they maintaining? And then why are they telling us about it? I mean, nukes. That's like the highest state secret you can have, and it's it all starting to. And then, you know, now that I look at it more, the $6.2 billion missing, it's like, oh, that was for Progosian. And then it's like, if that was really for Progosian, we would have never heard about the $6.2 billion. The CIA doesn't have to come clean and go, hey, guys, sorry, we made it. No, they're the CIA. They, they're, they're fucking spooks. They don't need to tell you shit. Well, they- well here's, here's another wrinkle. <sighs> if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm the FSB or, or the SBR, if I'm Russian military intelligence... What I'm going to do is I'm going to actually have Prigozhin reach out to the CIA. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have him reach out to the SBU. Flesh out those him... lines. Find right. out the and traitor so lines. Then, then I'm going to actually – and then he's going to say, you know, I want to defect or something like that. And fake the coup like and take the money anyway. Right. Game I mean, theory coup. Well, I mean uh, – and so you basically set up – you could set up the CIA to be framed for the whole thing. <laughs> If you're going to if you're going to do the fake coup anyway, if you're yeah. doing the shit anyway, and they committed and you, right because they shot down a couple of Russian planes, so if you're if you're yeah. losing actual Russian soldiers now, and if you're doing the thing, if you're going yeah. to the store anyway, get all the other groceries. We're already yeah. there. Let's 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 try to find right. some CIA assets that you know so. each asset is who, who knows how many thousands and millions of dollars of man hours and you know get the money. Why not grab? All, 6. all they have to billion. do is find Maxwell Smart. Yeah, and, and just, get him on the shoe phone. Yeah, and and tell him, look, we got this great deal for you. Why don't you Why don't you help us out? We want to overthrow <sighs> Mr. Putin and end this war. And 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 how many people? I th- you know I think the Ukrainians are too smart to fall for something like that. I hope they are. But because they had lived in a Soviet country, most of those people know all about all this, and they know to stay away from it. Yeah, not here but, in America. But the CIA, where, no, yeah, no, not in America. They here don't. in America, no. We saw January six, and everyone's like, "It's real," and it's like, and then now it's like, "Yeah, dude, that was a fucking provocation on top of a provocation that was a." So yeah, no, I mean, this is like they're going. Why would you not pull out all the stops? You're doing the thing anyway. Right. Right. And of course, you look at you look at how uh, you know Russia is getting desperate, and if they have to play the nuclear card, which is the last card they've got left, you know the Russians have gone through you know by some accounts two hundred thousand dead and wounded. They have their their military is full of recruits who are not well trained. Uh, their officer they've lost by one count. One guy told me they they've lost um, 
150 general officers and colonels in this war. They've, that's a lot of higher level officers, unit commanders, brigade commanders, division commanders, corps commanders. It's a lot of people to have lost in this war. And that's a lot of talent. It takes two years to train a division commander. So if you lose a division commander and you've got, got no backup, it's going to take you two years before you find somebody that can even begin to know what to do because of, this, because of the education. I mean, people don't understand how complex even a division is. A division would be like three brigades, mm -hmm. right, Three or three regiments in the old Russian system. Um, you know, that is, that is a crazy thing. They are literally, they have been so, uh, their tactics have been so wrong their strategies have failed so bad. They lost the Battle of Kiev. They lost the Battle of Kherson. They suffered the Ukrainian impromptu counteroffensive in the north in September. And now they're enduring the Ukrainian offensive, the offensive. Um, and uh, you can tell they are panicked because they blew the Kahavka Dam. Because if they were confident that they could defend, they wouldn't blow it. And then they've mined, according to Ukrainian sources, and I believe them, President Zelensky and the head of the GRU made the statement that um, that they have they have placed four mines in the Zaporozhia uh, nuclear power plant, the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe. They've mined four of the reactors, if if I understand correctly. They've, they've, there are four mines there. And uh, already the Ukrainians are organizing uh, people for um, protection against uh radiological hazard because it you know you you blow up a uh, a nuclear power plant that is uh, a fission yeah. process that's very dirty and um and you could have contamination they've they've urged people within a 16 mile radius to leave the russian troops are preparing to leave that area uh something's going and it's not just that there's a chemical plant a very nasty chemical plant in north uh west crimea that has allegedly been mined and the Russians, just for good measure, there's also a story, not confirmed, that they have mined the Kursk uh, nuclear power plant, which is really close. It's on the Russian side of the Ukrainian border, but it's pretty close to Ukraine. So that in case Ukrainian troops try to cross into Russia, they can blow that up and block their advance. I mean, that not that pretty desperate? When you don't, you're, you're not going to rely on your army to stop the enemy. You're going to re rely on uh, flooding rivers by breaking dams and blowing up nuclear power plants to create uh, radioactive areas that the enemy troops don't want to transit. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy desperate. Yeah. That is so desperate, in fact, and so nasty that don't you think someone in that frame of mind is ready to use a nuke, to yeah. use an actual nuke? Yeah. As long as they can create plausible deniability in using it. Yeah. Yeah, and then... And then is it just is it just madman theory where they want... Or does he want everyone to think he's that crazy? But, Jeff, you know what time it is. I gotta go to the bathroom, so... Welcome, okay. Welcome to JeffCast. Oh no, not the Jeff cast. Um, yeah, um, but um, uh, yeah, my website is jrnyquist.blog. That's j r n y q u i s t dot blog, um, and you can um, uh, buy my books on Amazon. I write into the J R Nyquist n y q u i s t. If you go to Amazon, I have books there like The Fool and His Enemy which is like, that's my favorite book that I've written. And The Lies We Believe In is another one. And then there's the books that I did with Cliff Kincaid, Back from the Dead, Return of the Evil Empire, and uh, Red Jihad 
And uh, so those are some of my books. And then there's the new Tactics of Global War that I did with Benjamin Baruch that you can order. And uh, so so check out the books um, uh, that I have on Amazon. And, uh, you know, it's uh, reading is a very key thing. And a lot of these books, I've got footnotes in there so you can see uh, where I got my information from my website, jarenikwist.blog. I usually, most of my articles, my in-depth articles, I have a large section of notes, links and notes, where I put the, where I got everything. So you can check out the books and the um, the websites that I've gotten the information from. And a lot of times, I believe that uh, that you can't just, you just don't report things. You need to analyze them uh, because there's a lot of facts that if they're not put in the right context, the people will misunderstand what they mean. So you 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 have to give an in-depth analysis of things. And I write about topics. Uh, I, I typically cover the threat from Russia and China and the threat of communism. I talk about philosophy, but I also have written about um, this whole UFO thing that's breaking now. Uh, Ross Coltart is the guy that interf- interviewed this, uh, what is his name, John Grush, a uh, government official who claims that we have alien bodies and and craft. So I also cover that. Uh, things that have a sort of larger significance for our country and the world and national security um, and have implications for our future. So that's what I basically cover on my website. So, um, all right. Back to Tommy Cast. Um, you're you're so, back. You know, so at a certain point, and, you know, appeasement, you know, historically doesn't work. But at a certain point, are you looking at a an increasingly desperate Russia that, you know, that we're hypothesizing right now. You know, it's one thing if the Taliban or Al-Qaeda gets more desperate, you're like, whatever, just bomb them. But when you have Russia, who's very competent. Yeah. At what point do we start to look at and we go, how much do we really give a shit about Ukraine? Just, I mean, just just objectively, if you're in the national security apparatus. The news was this morning, and I think there's been people in other NATO countries that are following similar threads that I am not the only one that has noticed some of this. You know that intelligence people are connecting some of these dots, and you know that they're in Europe. And so there was a meeting, I understand, in Denmark um, either yesterday, was it uh, yesterday or earlier today, and and they came out and they said, well, we want to organize, we want a peace conference, basically. And they want the peace conference in the next several weeks. They said next month. Well, if the meeting was yesterday, next month is this month, is July. So there are are already people, politicians, actors who want to uh, negotiate an end to the war. They don't want it to get to this. Um, there, there is a, a commentary worth doing on on the Prigozhin mutiny and as a provocation or not, and uh, the the general competence of the Russian Federation regime. Uh, and this this is very interesting. Um, you know that you're dealing with I, I when I look at Putin, people, you know, people say, well, he fancies himself an amateur historian. And as I've been reading, reading another biography of 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 Putin following him, he is not a brilliant man. And, and people have claimed he is a brilliant man. He is sort of a, a personality, a political personality that was uh, designed to fill this role when Yeltsin, drunken Boris, had exhausted his usefulness in extracting concessions from the West. Um, 
and and uh, just to give you background of of how sincere Boris was as a Democrat, um, my my friend, the late uh, Colonel Stanislav Lunev, uh, related how he was the deputy head of the GRU in the U.S. and his boss when when the Soviet Union fell, and America was sending food. They were saying sending uh, chicken. Uh, to the Russian people, the Russian people like certain cuts of chicken, and I think they were calling them uh, was it uh, was it uh, Bush wings, because named after President Bush for sending this chicken to the Russian people, and and and, and Colonel Lunev's thought was, well, why are we now spying on the Americans, doing these operations against the Americans here when they're feeding us and they're they're our friends now, and so they his boss sent a, a cable to the the headquarters of Russian you know, KGB foreign intelligence in, and and said, well, do we suspend our operations now that America's our friend? And the reply came back from Moscow, no, you are going to redouble your operations against America. Yeah. That was when Yeltsin was, so Yeltsin comes in and you're redoubling your operations against America? So that meant Yeltsin was a kind of deception in himself. And, and although they lost control of some things, they were reorganizing their regime and they, you know, uh, Lev Timofeev, this is a great little book called Russia's Secret Rulers. And it came out many years ago. And Lev Timofeev was a great researcher. And he said, what is going on here? What is the fall of the Soviet Union? And he said, look, it looks to me, and he has all this testimony about how it was organized and how the KGB was involved and how organized crime was brought into it. And he said, either the organized criminals took over Russia or it's the old Soviet KGB structures using organized crime to front for them in creating a, a new kind of system, but that the old communist apparatchiks are still in charge of everything. He says it's either or. Now, we can answer that question definitively now, which it is, because the regime there is not just some ordinary criminal regime. Putin sent 25 million tons of wheat to Cuba, a communist country, because there's a grain shortage. He wanted to make sure the communist country had enough grain. They sent scientists and military advisors to North Korea. North Korea is sending artillery shells to the Russians now in the war. And now they've caught China sending weapons to Russia disguised as consumer goods. So, And you've got China and Russia working together to put communist regimes in power in Latin America like we see Lula da Silva mm -hmm. in. And, 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 of course, what did Putin do when, when Lula da Silva uh, beat Bolsonaro in the election, supposedly, beat him in the election? Who gives uh, Lula a call to congratulate him? Putin. So Putin is is and and uh, General uh, uh, Laura Richardson, the head of Southern Command, four-star American general. She's made a, a couple of statements, very outspoken, and said the Russians and Chinese are moving into Latin America, and they are putting their friends. In, and who are their friends? Daniel Ortega, you know Raúl Castro, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the the communists in Venezuela. And uh, the the new uh, you know far leftist regime in Chile, and you've got the new president Colombia, and of course you've got a, a bit of a, a situation in Peru. But they elected a uh, a communist to the presidency of Peru. They impeached him, but it's it's sort of like a quarrel between two communist groups, just about. And so it's it's you know Latin America is being taken over by communists. Africa or sub-Saharan Africa already has been taken over by communists. And, and it's very interesting to watch. Here's another telltale. The, the German foreign minister, uh, Ms. Baerbach, 
goes to Brazil. Now, she's a leftist. She's a Green Party leftist. So she's part of the left. She's aligned with the Social Democrats there in a coalition government in Germany. She goes to visit Lula in Brazil, and Lula gives her a cold shoulder. Foreign minister won't meet her. President of Brazil won't meet her. Some low-level advisor meets with her. She's snubbed. Now, it was reported in the German press, I just read it last week, she goes to South Africa. The ANC is, of course, just a front for the Communist Party of South Africa. She goes there, and they give her a cold shoulder. And it's like, I, I think Ramaphosa did end up meeting with her, but he kind of stood her up at first, and it was she was embarrassed. And in the German press is saying, look at how they treat our foreign minister. She's like a joke now. Well, no, these are communist regimes. Why are they giving her a cold shoulder? Because she's against Putin. She's been helping Ukraine. She's pro-Ukrainian. So she's a she's a girl of the left who would expect to be received warmly by her leftist um, confederates in those countries. But no, she misstepped because they're left communist and she was just left environmentalist and she went against the big boy in Moscow. So that kind of clarifies what is it, the mafia in charge of Russia or the old communist structures are still in charge? The old communist structures are in charge because they're working with the communists globally. They're receiving help from them. They're giving help to them. And that is and they're allied with China, the biggest communist power in the world. So I think we can read this if we want to analyze it. We can analyze it and read it very clearly. We were kind of fooled back in the 1990s. And this regime has sucked a lot of aid and technology out of us. But thank goodness, Brilliant. yeah, they thank goodness, well, it's billions and billions, and the Chinese have done even a better job of this. But what's interesting is they're so darn incompetent. Now I'm going to explain how wonderful, wonderfully brilliant their trick was and how really they've outwitted themselves because you look at this coup. Stalin, Felix Dzerzhinsky, Stalin, Lenin, uh, Khrushchev, even Brezhnev would have never, ever done this kind of thing. And here's why they would never have done it. You never make a fake military mutiny against your own country, against your own government as a provocation. You know why? Because what happens if everybody joins it? What happens well, if 10 generals the... joined it and you had 250,000 troops? Now the 8,000 or, well, or 20,000 mercenaries. Going, maybe I do take it. You know, it's like it's like the little Japanese man at... at, at, at um, uh, and, and, and Hiroshima, who is sitting on the toilet right when the bomb went off, and his house blows down around him, and he says, "Oh my gosh, what did I do?" <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, what have I done? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's if you know if I'm if I'm having you shoot an apple off my head, it's like, well, I, I think Jeff's yeah, my ally, but I, uh, right. I hope I, yeah. I I don't. What if he goes low? So, of, yeah. so uh, I would say, and this is true across the board. I think that all of civilization around the world is 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 in decline, and the decline is intellectual, and it's a decline in competence. So, I'll give you an example. You could compare Biden to FDR, and you would find Biden very much lower on the scale. You know, you know all those pictures where you, they show the evolution of man from little monkeys, mm -hmm. and they show little. Uh, anthropocenes yeah. or whatever they show the little monkeys and they go and then it's man and it's 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 Cro-Magnon man and it's you know modern yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you could have this little evolutionary. It's a D evolutionary thing where you get you got Washington and you got Lincoln and and they're getting smaller. You get William McKinley and and Woodrow Wilson and FDR, and then you get down to Biden and and he's just this tiny little guy, right? Like the monkey at the beginning of the. The other, sure. he's the monkey. Only you're not evolving; you devolving, right? So, 
So, so if you if you if you look at Mr. Putin, Mr. Putin is no Stalin. He's no Lenin. This guy does not have the brain power of a Lenin or Stalin. And so, when he he may be a a a decent actor or performer in front of a camera, but when you look at at at, at actually his 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 choices, these strategic choices, this these are you know they criticize Khrushchev for harebrained scheming, but this is one harebrained scheme after they invade. Ukraine thinking they're going to overrun it in a matter of days or weeks and they get stuck in there they're going to be in there for a year and a half pretty soon if this keeps going on and and that's what you call a long war and and then to get out of the war they they blow this dam and create this echo catastrophe which it's so darn dumb because now the water is low in the old channel in twice the length of the river there's twice as many crossing points now than before that reservoir was emptied because that giant reservoir that took up, you know, a third of the river downstream from Zaporozhye wasn't crossable. This is this is like this gigantic lake, and and now it's it's so they they just put themselves in a worse position, and so now they do this mutiny and Putin looks weak. But is that really helpful to his regime to look weak? I mean, it's great for getting him out of trouble with the West, but how does that stabilize him at home? Hmm. So he's in a way he's always shooting himself in the foot, and there's this law of unintended consequences. You know, you you go for a short war. Your intention is to is to integrate Ukraine back into your country, but you attack Ukraine. You make the Ukrainian people so mad at you that they will never integrate. Even if you conquered them, they would be unwilling subjects. You would have this terrible occupation, guerrilla warfare. You'd have all kinds of problems there. You are not going to be able to get the Ukrainian aerospace engineers to be contractors to, to help the strategic rocket forces of the Russian Federation anymore because they're going to leave. They're going to go to Europe. They're going to go to Romania and Poland and Germany, and they're going to go somewhere else. So you have just lost what you were trying to recover. So everything you're doing is destroying your own the, – the whole reason for you doing it is destroyed in the way you're doing it. So, you know, so it's, it's, it's really a sign of incompetence when people – when statesmen do things that are obvious reaching for things they want and then the they get the opposite of what they want by reaching for it it's like well you reached for it the wrong way you wanted to win ukraine over to become part and have union with russia well i think maybe bombing their cities and killing their women and children and committing massacres is kind of the wrong way to go about it like they're ever gonna you know a hundred years from now ukrainians will probably still hate russians because they'll be They'll all remember their granddads who fought in the war, right? They're going to know their granddads and great-granddads, and they're going to know the story of the suffering, and they're going to have the pictures of the cities leveled, and they're going to be living with the pollution and the destruction. I mean, do you realize that from Chernobyl, radioactive silt settled at the bottom of that reservoir and got buried in that, that Kahavka Dam? When they released the dam, they, the silts got blown out and have washed down river. So they're saying there may be radioactive silts down. I mean, think about the disaster that you have just done. You had no idea what the implications are and how people are going to hold you responsible later. So then you go to this, any kind of scheme of using nuclear weapons to get out of this. You know, everybody isn't stupid. When there's something about what somebody once said that, that, you know, a death really focuses the mind. Right. So when you're dealing with something very deadly, a lot of these Western people go, I get it. I get what they're doing. 
this can't be this Prigozhin thing is phony baloney. They're not going to believe that this, and even the Russian people aren't in the end going to believe that Putin sent Prigozhin into exile in Belarus and he just happened to send him where the nukes are. If that is what happens, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I, I'm a little concerned seeing these things line up. I mean, maybe he just sent him there because he then could guard Lukashenko and preserve his unstable government. That could be why he's there. And then they get us to feel afraid because there's this implication. So they're just trying to make a sophisticated form of threat. But it seems to me that they're going to lose the war. They're going to lose this war, and there's a real threat of destabilization of the Russian Federation uh, in the loss of the war. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely... Um, that's definitely what the threat is. So nuclear nuclear way out or not? I don't know. I mean, they're incompetent enough and murderous enough to do it. Hmm. And so I don't I don't attach this great genius to Mr. Putin. And I don't by the way, I think Mr. Xi is a degenerate form of Mao. And Mao was already a degenerate. But um <laughs> That's the way I see Mr. Xi. And so you look at the leaders. I mean, in World War II, you had a lot of ruthless people. Churchill, Hitler, Tojo, Roosevelt. They were all, all of these guys had reputations for, you know, not necessarily being nice. You know, sure. Churchill had a reputation as a warmonger. Roosevelt had a reputation of being a dishonest politician. Uh, Stalin was a mass murderer. Tojo, we all know about him. And, of course, Hitler, very, very famous bad guy, right? So you got these, but you know what? All of these people were kind of formidable in their own way, uh, bad or not. But now what we have is bad and really maybe a retarded form of bad. <laughs> Which know? is almost just, worse. Yes, yes, because there was some, look, if people are rational, there's, you can have a, if people you, you are rational. You can deal with a mob boss. Well, right. You can, you can, you can actually say, well, look, there is a kind of rational process there that you preservation, can, money. Yeah, whatever. you you're trying to preserve something, right? You yeah. you you may be doing a lot of horrible things, but something is preserved, and and the world got through all that uh, somehow. We got through it. We rebuilt. But these people, I mean, I don't know. You know, Biden is so irresponsible and so corrupt. I mean, he just makes. The irresponsibility and the corruption of FDR look like it, it was really nothing by comparison. And uh, so, you know, and, and as far as allowing Marxists into the government, you look at Obama. I mean, everything is, a, is an iteration of the past, only each iteration is more of a drooling idiot. That's until you get somebody who is absolutely, you know, it's, it's what, what is that? What was that movie? Yeah. Uh, um, idiocracy idiocracy yeah a republic of dunces right yeah. Yeah. and i'm afraid we're headed that's where we've been headed all this time you know but even that kind of uh you can find the silver lining in that because if we really are being ruled by these retards then as they get dumber and more and more inept it would seemingly it would stand to reason that they would be easier to overcome mm -hmm. right a sufficiently competent person could look at it and game them and put them out of power right if we're talking about them getting dumber and dumber and dumber you could have a class of smart people come along and go 
oh yeah, we can I'll, we can take this. These people are stupid. Yeah, there's a there's a very interesting, I, and I think you know, evil is a special case of stupid. I've made this argument before, and this is why you know uh, you have the argument between Sun Tzu and Clausewitz, right? Sun Tzu said excellence in war is winning without fighting, and so it's all about deception because yeah. if you deceive them, then okay. So that a lot of people think that's brilliant, and of course I've read Sun Tzu. There's a lot of brilliant insights in there, but then you got Clausewitz, and Clausewitz begins his 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 uh, book on war by saying that. Um, he says some people think that excellence, you know, in warfare is winning without fighting, but this is an error which must be extirpated. So he kind of attacks the whole that whole idea at the outset. Yeah. And he says politics, uh, war is politics by other means. Yeah, and it, and of course, Clausewitz is this honorable Prussian officer who comes out of the European traditions of chivalry that that gave birth to the Prussian officer corps and the officer British officer corps and so on and other countries and George Washington and the Duke of Wellington all read that same code of honor out of the British uh, officer manuals that uh, that taught them how to behave and you you read the letters of of uh, Wellington when he was in India uh, admonishing an officer that was that that the Indian some raja was trying to bribe Right and saying we're British, we don't take bribes. Right, we're honorable. This is the difference between us and the, these people in Asia, that that they have this corrupt culture. They take bribes, you know. So it's like, why was the West superior for so long? Because going back to the Romans, who believed in in honor, right, and the ancient Greeks, and even the ancient Persians. In ancient Persia, it, the greatest crime was to lie. To always be truthful, the ancient Persians, the original Persians, when you when you go to Cyrus the Great, they they were great people because they believed in this this Spartan honesty, right? This a massive honesty uh, that that trust. And this is a a, a theme in Western history: uh, honor, honesty, integrity, uh, chivalry, uh, that is embedded. And of course, we've we've degenerated we've gone away from this you know assassinating your enemy who's not on the battlefield like they did to that iranian general there in 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 january 2020 Philemon. you know i i wrote arguments this is shocking to me you do not assassinate your enemy general off the battlefield especially when he's going to a parley you don't do that this is what and so so think about western history and how much we've achieved with the idea of honor and think about china and sun tzu China ended up becoming a sewer politically with this Sun Tzu nonsense because Sun Tzu is just Machiavellian steroids. It's just massively cynical. So what 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 is your you know politics? What is your politics if it's based on lies? Nothing is forthright. Nobody's saying what they really think. Everybody is deviously plotting against everybody else. It's all this subtlety, right? So there's the there's a problem there. And I think that the, the idea of adopting these Eastern political ways, these Chinese politics, is terribly damaging. And I think it's been damaging for Russia. And I think it's, uh, again, um, there is a stupidity in evil. There's a stupidity in cynicism. Because cynicism is kind of, in a way, it's a, it's a kind of stupidity that, that won't acknowledge there is good in the world. And won't be able to, to ever take advantage of that good. So what can a cynic do? Nothing positive. Only negative. So what's the good of cynicism? It's no good, right? And so what's the good of believing that you have to lie and deceive to get ahead? And and more to the point, to what uh, what Clausewitz would say, 
is he said, okay, you try to trick me all you want, and I'm going to hold on to my gun. And when I realize you're tricking me over and over again, I'm just going to pull out my gun and I'm going to bang, shoot you. So in the end, it's like the Wild West. You're going to pull your gun out and one of you is going to die. It's about a bloody resolution. This yeah. is what Clausewitz's whole thing is about. It's the bloody fight that it comes down to. You can play this game you of a Russian girl. saying and yeah. fucking musical chairs. It comes right. down to who's got a gun. It comes down to yeah. actually fighting it out. And the thing is, who's got the grit? And who's got the courage? And you look at the Ukrainians with the grit and the courage. And, and here you've got this regime in Moscow that is always cheating and lying yeah. and prevaricating. And look at their soldiers don't want to even be there. Their yeah. morale is low. Why? Because the soldiers don't see honor above them in the power vertical, as, as they call it in Moscow. The power vertical, there's this little rat at the top of it named Putin, Vladimir Putin, who lies even when it doesn't make sense to lie. Yeah. You know, you ask him what time it is, he'd probably give you the wrong hour just to keep in practice. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like, how do you, and see, for you to have, you think of, a, of an army, you think of a military unit, you're going to follow a guy who lies to you, or are you going to follow the guy who's going to put his life on the line for you, and yeah. he's going to tell you the truth, and he's going to treat you with dignity. That's who you're going to fight and die for. Yeah. And I think yeah. the Ukrainians have, have learned that lesson, breaking from the Soviet past. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with the, the Klausovitsian, I guess, ideal yeah. of, like, it does just come down to the gun. It just... It, it, it comes down, you know, and, and, and the one communist, Mao Zedong, said it, political power comes from the barrel, the barrel of the of gun. gun. So Mao, but of course, Mao was a smarter, old-fashioned Marxist, and Karl Marx read Clausewitz. Yeah. Karl Marx and Lenin believed that Clausewitz was the man, not Sun Tzu. Yeah. And and so even Mao, who had a largely Western education in many regards, he had a very classical Chinese education too, but he knew knew all these Western works. And so they they the older Bolsheviks they knew, but they fought. The older Bolsheviks they did use deception, but they knew how to fight these bloody civil wars in World War II and so on. Yeah. But these guys, you look at these guys and you think, no, no, they are totally devotees of this you know tell a lie and so you're going to lie to do to accomplish everything you're going to find out in the end you have become hoisted by your own petard yeah yeah it's uh it's fiat currency right mm -hmm. it's uh yeah at the end of the day it's false it's, coin it's false the, coin well even then at the end of the day it's like even the gold doesn't matter it's, do you have grain do you have water do you have shelter do you have a gun and that is mm -hmm. kind of the and there are there are benefits to fiat currency. There are benefits to lying and deception. But ultimately, it does. The universe has a has a funny way of of manifesting karma. Yeah, it does. And there's a there's a famous Italian economist slash sociologist named Vilfredo Pareto, and he wrote a book called The Mind and Society. Actually, a three volume work, or is it four volumes? And it's very fascinating to read the read it because. He basically says he, he he has his theory of the circulation of elites that's the background of this and he says there's there's basically two personality types, two genetic types or whatever, however he he frames it. It's the lion and the fox, which Machiavelli wrote about in The Prince. 
and the and and Machiavelli had said in the Prince that you you have to be a lion to 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 chase away the wolves and you have to be a, a fox to avoid traps. So you need to be both a lion and a fox. And you could see where this is heading. That is, there's those that are strong and will fight, and the foxes, of course, is is tricky and and clever and deceptive. And uh, Pareto made this general observation about history and this these human types. He says at the beginning of civilization. The lions predominate in the leadership of society over the foxes. That is, bravery and honor is more. And he, he pointed to the Roman Republic, the rise of the Roman Republic, where you have these great soldiers, statesmen, in the Roman Republic. That you know, they many of them died in in battle, and they led the Roman soldiers, and and they they built Roman Italy, and then they built the Roman Empire, and then the Republic collapsed. And then he said, then what happens is, as as it becomes senile, as it becomes old. The foxes become more numerous in the leadership, so you have your Sejanuses and you have your emperor, you know your 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 wily emperors like Tiberius and 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 uh, Nero and so on. People who are really cowards, who aren't really lions but foxes, and all of a sudden the foxes predominate. And where does it end up? You end up bribing the barbarians because you can't fight them anymore. You don't have the grit. You just want to negotiate everything and trick people in the negotiation. And and it it I I was amused after reading Pareto. I I was reading the letters of a Roman diplomat at the time of Attila the Hun, mm-hmm. and he was on a military mission there. And he ran into this Hunnish this big Hunnish lord, and he, it turned out he was this old Roman businessman he knew that they thought had been overrun by the Huns and was dead. And he goes, Oh my gosh, you're alive! How is it that you're still alive? And he says, oh, yeah, I got captured by the Huns. I was a vassal, but they recognized my talent, so they made me a lord. And he goes, well, now that you're a lord, don't you want to go back to Rome or Constantinople and resume your business? He goes, I would never go back there with those awful people. These people are honorable. When they say something, they mean it, and they never lie. I'm going to go back to that viper's nest. So you see, what Pareto was telling us is that the Roman Empire fell because the foxes became predominant and there were no there were very few lions and then you look at anybody who has lion-like traits this is one of the things that the trump kind of presents a lion-like traits they get the foxes just surround him and just just do away you know that he's stupid right the 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 criticism of the fox that the fox has for the lion is he's just stupid he's just too stupid as if courage is not a strategy an intelligent strategy to have um, you know, they, they called Churchill the last lion. Churchill stood up and all these British politicians, they wanted to, to have appeasement with Hitler. They wanted to manipulate Hitler and the Soviet Union. So there'd be a, if there was a, another world war, it would be between the Soviet Union and the Nazis. And in trying to do that, it just backfired on them. Yeah. All their cleverness, Stalin outwitted them. And it ended up being Hitler going against the West with Stalin sitting back laughing yeah. at, at the whole thing. So it, 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 it's, it's like this is, this is the senility time. And, and um, Pareto, who, was, who lived 100 years ago, I think he died in the 1920s, um, Pareto said we are approaching this, this period of the foxes dominating everywhere, mm-hmm. where everything is negotiable and everything is negotiated and there are fewer lions. And he said eventually what happens is the civilization collapses like Rome did, and we're back to something starting over, and, and it's all about lions again being on top. It's the cycle of civilizations, the cycle of elites. It's a fascinating theory that Pareto had, and you can kind of see it playing out with our leaders now. It's all about being clever. It's all about negotiating. It's all about you know image and everything. But uh, about what about the reality? What about the grit? What about the courage? What about taking the bullet? You know, 
And it wasn't that long ago. F, uh, Teddy Roosevelt gave a speech in Milwaukee and someone shot him. And he decided to finish his yeah. speech with a bullet in him, right? Yeah. You know. So we had lions, yeah. and now we have five. Do you any? Would any politician now do that? No. No. Take me to the ER now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the cycle does. You know the the trough implies the crest, and you know once people get so sick of foxes, it won't even take a a a necessarily special lion to stand up. People will just be so attracted to just the opposite of of cunning thievery and deception just anyone that remotely tells the truth they'll just be like you don't even care about him be like hey at least he's honest right right so that in a way the prevalence of the foxes also lowers the bar necessary for a lion to take over yeah eventually it it reaches eventually um, Pareto has a Pareto has an interesting thing he calls it a period of spoliation where he says, he says, look, you take a Roman penny at the time of Christ's birth at 4% interest. How much do you have? I think he was writing this in like 1916 or something like that. He says, how much money do you have? He, and he, he, he got the measurement of how much gold. The miracle of compound interest is, is uh, uh, Einstein called it. Um, you would have several times the weight of the earth in gold <laughs> at 4% interest from the cap. So he said, how come we're, we don't have all this fabulous wealth? How come this has not uh, happened? Well, he said, because there is no such thing as constant growth economic. What you have is you have periods of accumulation and periods of spoliation. And this coincides, by the way, with this, these elites uh, going bad. You know, the elites become foxes. And what do foxes do that deceive? They end up stealing all the money. And so nobody can trust anybody. So everybody's, you know, this is kleptocracy in Russia. This is our, our kind of um, uh, Bernie Madoff uh, financial culture here. So it turns out, oh, oh, gee, all the funds are empty. All the banks are empty. Oh, gosh, the whole thing just collapses. So then there's nothing left for the foxes to negotiate over or steal. It's time for the lions. Yeah. This is how you end up in the Middle Ages where, where the men of honor, the, the you know, what was the, uh, the aristocracy of Europe was a feudal warrior aristocracy that predicated everything on honor and their fighting ability, um, not on their using their wits all the time to get everything by tricking people. Um, so it does, it exhausts itself and it ends in, in this... Um, period of spoliation he called it and it by every evidence when we look around we are headed for this period of spoliation and the thing that you know and all of the great sociologists by the way it amounts to this same kind of thing only they each one of them has a different way of modeling it or describing it but it's the collapse of everything and the re-begin the beginning again of everything you know you find it in Nietzsche you find it in Jacob Burkhardt you find it in Joseph Schumpeter you know, and and so you find it in uh, in Pareto, and and you find it in and Max Weber alluded to. So it's they've all all of these people who've read history going back 2,500 years or more. Well, 2,500 years history has been written since Herodotus. Uh, they can see this pattern in the ancient world. The ancient world was a civilization that rose and fell. That we have pretty good idea of what happened, and now we can look at our civilization. And go, holy crap! We're doing the, we're following in their footsteps. We're doing it again. It's not exact, but it, as they say, it rhymes, um, and it it is very true. So, 
I think that's where we are. And so when when you hear these analysts come on and say, well, you know, it's the rational actor model and Putin's acting very rational and the Americans are acting very rational and the Germans are, it's like, you're fighting in Ukraine. Does it seem very rational to you? Yeah. It's pretty darn crazy what's happening. Blowing up dams, preparing for nuclear war, mining the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe. That's insane. Yeah. But yet these people would want us convince us that it's all very rational. It's going to be managed perfectly fine. No, it's not. You you are some kind of weird optimist if you believe that. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Jeff, I say with that we wrap this one up. Very good. That was, uh, dude, as always, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on here. That was a head spin. We will see. July eleventh. We'll see. And, yeah. You know if that we'll is see. if that is the nuclear holocaust, then Jeff, it was nice knowing you. But uh, I imagine we'll be doing an episode after that. and uh, I, I think if there is a, any nuke going off, it might be just a couple of them. Just, and, just, and maybe just, not even that. Maybe it's just maybe it's little. just a scare. Maybe they're just, just trying a to— a little baby nuclear they're, war. They're just trying to scare us. Oh, you know, it could be that they're just—because you know, people can put these things together and get all scared and whatever. So I'm thinking, you know, you got to be an open mind. Uh, Prigozhin might be there just to defend Lukashenko. And, and stabilize that regime. Who knows? Yeah, whatever it is, it's not what we saw. I think nope, that much it, is. It's I, not, think we're, yep. I think we've. I think everyone's kind of concluding that it is. It's yeah. not what we saw. But um, yo, dude, let's wrap this up. Uh, okay. Jeff, thank you as always, guys. Please go into the description. Please go to his Twitter. Please go buy his books. And um, happy Independence Day, my friend. Till next time. Happy Fourth. Thank right. you so much. Jeff, always Take a care. pleasure, dude. Guys, thank All you right. for watching. God Recording bless. Stay stopped. safe, everybody. Much love. Peace.